what we've seen so far in the Sermon on the Mount, in the past couple of weeks especially, is, is a common refrain. Verse 2, uh, when you give, don't be a hypocrite. Verse 5, when you pray, don't be a hypocrite. And so here, we're in verse 16, and we're going to see the same kind of theme repeated. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, so one of the main overarching themes of this section is don't be a hypocrite. And you know, there, there is more than one way to be a hypocrite, right? We don't really, um, I don't know anyone who likes hypocrites. And I don't think that anyone thinks they're a hypocrite, but maybe that's part, part of the problem, right? Uh, there's several different ways that you, you could find yourself being at least hypocritical. Here's a couple. You pretend to be someone you're not. That's kind of my default definition of hypocrisy, like you're pretending to be someone you're not. But also, if you live for the recognition of others around you, I think you're being hypocritical. You judge others while never examining yourself. You mindlessly go through religious routines. You outwardly say one thing, but inwardly believe another. You justify yourself in any situation. All these ways to be a hypocrite, they can show up in the life of a Christian. Jesus warns us against hypocrisy when it comes, especially in this chapter, to giving and to prayer and now to fasting. So what I want to do is just give you three aspects of fasting that will help us avoid the hypocrisy trap. Here's the first one. Fasting is a heart matter. And we see this right off the bat. Do not... Look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. I connect this with another parable that Jesus references, fasting, and it happens over in Luke chapter 18. He's telling the parable, many of you might be familiar with, it's the Pharisee and the tax collector. And he preempts the, or introduces the parable with these words. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. His problem was hypocrisy, self-sufficiency, and self-righteousness. So what happens? Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven and beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If you remember... The nation of Israel had self-imposed these four different annual fasts throughout their time in the exile. And here we see this Pharisee has gone way beyond that. I mean, this dude is fasting twice a week. But what did he gain? Um, nothing. 
He gained nothing from his religious exercise because that's all it was, was a ritual so that others would see, so that he would feel better about himself. This is the same reason that the Lord questioned the fasting of the Israelites 500 and something years before this interaction. Their heart was in the wrong place. This kind of external fasting is what Jesus is warning about here in Matthew chapter 6. Apparently there was a bunch of people, or or at least a contingent of them, who went to great lengths to show the world that they were fasting. When it says they disfigure their face, they were likely putting ashes on, on their face. They were walking around, sullen, grumpy, scowling, so that people would ask, what's wrong with you? Oh, I'm fasting, it's so hard, but I'm so spiritual. That's that's what it means when it says they disfigure their face. I thought about running back in the back and then doing the whole, but I saw I couldn't do it. But the whole point was to emphasize the physical aspects of fasting so that others would notice. But God says, I don't care if anyone else notices. This is a heart issue. And if your motives are in the wrong place, then none of it matters. I think it is important that we realize that that fasting is not the problem. Okay, God had commanded the nation of Israel to fast once a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement. And and outside of that, we see many biblical examples of people who prayed and fasted, who weeped and mourned, and even put on sackcloth and drenched themselves in ashes. There was no problem with that if their heart was right. So the problem isn't the ashes. The problem wasn't the fasting. The issue is the heart. It wasn't the activity of fasting. It was the heart of fasting. This also speaks to the fact that fasting is a private matter. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others. When Jesus is saying, anoint your head, wash your face, he's essentially saying, please just be normal. Okay, this isn't like some unusual thing. This was just like normal hygiene. So if, if I would encourage, I'm going to in a little bit, encourage you to fast this week. Okay, take a shower, brush your teeth, uh, wear normal clothes. You don't, you don't have to like make it a big, big show and actually you're required not to make it a big show. That, that's the point. Like this is, this is a private matter. It's okay to comb your hair and do all the normal things because this is between you and God. Some have taken this to mean that we can, no one can ever find out we're fasting and we have to hide it and be, be secretive. And I would say, no, you're, you're misreading it and keep addressed it last week with praying. Can we only pray in the closet? Did I sin earlier because I prayed in front of everyone? You heard me pray? No. What's he speaking to? The heart motive. Okay, so we, it's a private matter, as in it starts in our heart, our desire to seek the Lord. Which then would also mean it's acceptable, in some cases, that you can fast with other people. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your small group, maybe it's our church, because of something that we are, we call, we are calling for you to join us in a corporate fast. I want to be wrong. I've never seen it done in Chapel of Lake history. It's not something that we have scheduled. Okay, I would just say it's, it's not wrong. It's not what he's teaching here. But he is saying it's the heart that matters. It's a private matter between you and the Lord. 
And then we see, this is where we're focused the rest of our time here this morning, fasting is a spiritual matter. It's a heart matter, it's a private matter, and it's a spiritual matter. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. So we've talked about it, but we haven't quite defined it. What is biblical fasting? Now, I I say biblical fasting because fasting is a historical practice. You you find it in almost every major religion. You see it in, in random cultures across the globe that goes back centuries and millennia. And then you have fasting that is centered around like either health and weight loss or for medical reasons and this and that and the other. Fasting, at its bare minimum, is just abstaining from food. But I want to define biblical fasting because it's important that we make the distinction. Because you forgot to eat lunch, that doesn't mean that you fasted in a biblical way. Okay? We didn't just fast from electricity for like 30 minutes. We didn't choose to do that. There was, I wasn't thinking spiritual thoughts. Um, and I, maybe I was praying. I don't know. There was no purpose behind that. Okay, So we, we want to make the distinction between fasting in general, abstaining from food, and biblical fasting. So there's one author that defines it, uh, biblical fasting like this. The voluntary denial of a normal function for an intense spiritual activity. That sounds like it was written in a book, which it was. So this is how I've... Uh, come up with my own simpler definition. Fasting, biblical fasting, is giving up something temporal in order to focus on something eternal. I wish it rhymed a little better. but Fasting is giving up something temporal in order to focus on the eternal. When we fast, and I say when we fast because Jesus said when we fast, and then Jesus said and when you fast, twice in just these three verses, there's an expectation of fasting, I still believe, for the Christian. It's a private matter, individual matter, but Jesus affirms this again in Matthew chapter 9. The disciples, yeah, the disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus and be like, listen, we fast. The Pharisees fast. Why don't you and your disciples fast? And this is how Jesus answers. Verse 15. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Well, what does that mean? Well, can the wedding guests, God's people, mourn as long as the bridegroom, Jesus, is with them? They're like, this is a mini picture of what's coming later. The days will come, though, that Jesus knows he's going to depart. And when he departs, then they will fast. Jesus is saying, my disciples don't need to fast because they have the reality of the kingdom in their midst. They have Jesus, the Messiah. They have God in their midst, which was a a tiny taste of the future that is coming. He says, we don't need to fast. But when I leave, when I depart... We're going to be back in Zechariah 8, what he was foretelling, where we're waiting for the day that Jesus comes and brings us to this wedding, this wedding feast, maybe. So when Jesus was present with his disciples, there's no need to fast, which means that fasting, 
again, is not just a, a looking back of the things that we don't have or even just a focus on sin. It's an anticipation. It's a looking forward to spiritual intimacy, to fellowship with God. So we fast, we give up something temporal so we can focus on something eternal that will last all of eternity. So I want to briefly walk through a couple of things. Well, then, can you explain this a little more? How can fasting be spiritual? You have a couple of reasons why. Fasting reveals our heart. Okay, obviously we've been focused almost this whole morning on your heart and your motivation for fasting. Well, fasting will reveal your heart. It's going to need to go hand in hand with prayer. You can pray without fasting, but you can't fast without praying. Because fasting, what fasting will do for you is reveal your inner desire. It reveals your inner longings, and it can be a a helpful tool to help us uh, to shape our hearts after the heart of Jesus. When we fast, we identify the things that, that, that pull us, that we care about. But it also reveals our master. We said that fasting is this intentional giving up of something in order to focus on a spiritual thing, an eternal thing. And, and this is why fasting can be something more than just food. I love food. Some people have told me I have a food smile uh, when I <laughs> talk about good food or eat some good food. It's probably true. So fasting food is probably a good practice for me because I need to, I need to gauge, just, do I have more desire for some good food? Is my, how does my desire for God compare? And if I'm not willing to give up food, what does that say about my heart for God? And so this is how it reveals our hearts, but it also reveals what controls us. But especially in our day, so food's probably good for me, but also I think that maybe in our culture especially, we should focus our fasting on, on anything that distracts us from God. Is there anything in your life that distracts you from God that might actually be controlling you more than you would like to admit? What would it take to get you to give up your phone for 24 hours? What would it take for you to shut off the computer or shut off the television or to turn off the sports games for a day? If if we can't do that, what does that reveal about who's controlling us? All of these things are good gifts from God. I love good food. I like sports. I like TV. I get irritated with social media, and I still scroll. They're good gifts, okay, and for the most part. The problem becomes when, when we begin to enjoy the gift more than the giver. And by giving up the gift, we can acknowledge our desire and gratefulness and relationship with the one who gave the gift to begin with. So we should consider, what's controlling me? Maybe I need, am I able to take some space? Okay. Fasting reveals what we are looking to ultimately satisfy us. And our hearts, our hearts should be to find our ultimate satisfaction in Christ. When we give up food, just to show you maybe how this works with the mastering thing. When we give up food, we actually can then make our hunger work for us instead of being a slave to our hunger. So what I, what I mean by that, when your stomach starts growling because you're fasting, and you're like, man, I'm hungry. And then you look on the counter and you see a bag of chips, 
And then your favorite chips. Oh, man, I just want that bag of chips. Well, you have a choice. You're going to let the bag of chips master you, or are you going to remember why you fasted in the first place? Ooh, I'm going to take my hunger, I'm going to make it my slave, and that's going to drive me to God. And so I'm going to go to God, and I'm going to say, God, I need you more than I need this bag of chips. Which sounds very silly. Who would ever have that conversation? I think I did this week. I'm not going to lie. We want to be able to desire and, and focus and reach for God, even when we feel the pull of the things of this world. Food, popularity, things, stuff, fill in the blank, whatever it may be that has an unreasonable amount of control over you, it should drive us to a more intense prayer before the Lord. And it also reveals our hope. We should not forget that fasting largely looks towards the promise that is coming. That our fasting, that I'm willing to give up some temporal things because I know there is eternal satisfaction waiting for me. Because that's why I want to focus and engage in that relationship now. I can give up the temporary because it actually heightens my anticipation and longing and desire for God now. It reminds us of our hope. It reveals our hope. Is our hope in knowing God or is it the stuff of this world? Might not be convinced yet. Why should I fast? I'm not going to, I don't expect you to be able to read that. If you want this list, it comes from Don Whitney. Um, I'll read through it. Here's some reasons why you might fast even today. Strengthening prayer, seeking God's guidance, expressing grief, seeking deliverance or protection, expressing repentance, returning to God, humbling oneself before God, expressing concern for the work of God, ministering to the needs of others, overcoming temptation, dedicating yourself to God, expressing love and worship to God. You notice it's not just one thing. And, and I don't think all of these things should be happening at some... But here's... Seven, eight, twelve things, reasons why we might should fast. Ultimately, what Whitney says, as he writes, this came from an article of his that I read, says that fasting can be an expression of finding your greatest pleasure and enjoyment in life from God. Some of you are like, yeah, okay, but what will be my reward? Because Jesus says, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Like, sweet, finally, now I'm going to listen because I'm ready for the reward. Well, I would caution you there. We know from all of Scripture that we, cannot get to treat, we do not treat God like an ATM. This is not a transactional relationship that we can just say, here's my prayer, God, now give me what I want. Here's my fast, God, now give me what I want. I'm ready for my reward. That is not how this works. Every gift that comes from God comes from His grace. Even more than that in relation to this, I think fasting is a gift itself. Fasting is a gift from God. It's a means of grace. What do you mean? Well, because it's a way in which God has designed our bodies to work, our minds to work, that if we will fast, we are drawn closer to God and in relationship with Him. Fasting itself is a gift. Have you ever thought about fasting in that way? It's more like, oh, sure, I can't believe it. Why would I want to ever do that? Well, it's a gift, so we get to know the Lord. It's a means by which we draw closer to God. Our faith is increased. It demonstrates our dependence on God. But it's not, we don't fast because we get a reward. 
But, but what is the reward? And the Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's my big answer of the day. I don't know. I don't know what the reward is. And it's probably good. Because if I fast for a reward, is my heart in the right place? No. The reward of fasting is Jesus, is relationship. Maybe it's other things, righteousness and holiness and conquering of sin. There's, there's, there's a whole list of things. I don't know what particular reward God is going to bestow on you if you fast. All I know is that this is what the Bible says. The Father who sees in secret will reward you. But don't leave here and say, I'm going to fast and I'm going to start looking to see how God rewards me. That's not the point. That's not how it works. And you'll be discouraged. We don't fast because of the reward, but we should be encouraged that it says God notices his people when they fast. And there is a reward. I don't know what it is, but there is a reward. Last question. Will you fast? Really, will you, even this week, consider fasting? That's my question. That's my challenge to you today. Jesus said it twice in these three verses, when you fast. Go through that list from Don Whitney about here's a whole bunch of reasons why you might fast. Think about the things that are happening in your life. Think about the things that bring you satisfaction. Think about the recurring sin that's in your life. Think about where you stand in your relationship with God. Might there be a good reason to spend some purposeful time seeking God this week through fasting? I would contend that there is. I've been challenged by that this week. So I will do it this week. So I gave us five quick tips. Think about fasting. Number one, be sensible. If you've never fasted before, please don't start with a 40-day fast. <laughs> Not a good idea. Okay? Just, just don't start there. Okay? Be, be sensible. Don't put yourself in physical danger. If there's health reasons you can't fast from food, that's okay. Be sensible here. Think about other ways where you can dedicate time and maybe things to God. Be sensible. Start small. Fasting can be as simple as skipping a meal. If it's purposeful, not by accident, like I frequently do. If it's reasonable. You have a heart, you heard about needs in France, you've heard about needs in Ukraine, and we're collecting for Ukraine this month, and you're like, you know what, I usually go out to eat this week. This week I'm not going out to eat for lunch at all. But I'm going to take that money, I'm going to send it to the Ukraine, and more than that, during the hour that I usually take for lunch, I'm going to spend that time in prayer for the people of Ukraine. That's fasting. It's not this prolonged, huge thing. It's not this big spiritual No one has to know. It's between you and the Lord. It's focused spiritual. You're giving up temporal to gain eternal. Be sensible about it, though. I just gave the example for be intentional. Think through it. There should be a reason. If you're going to skip a meal, there should be a reason. If you're going to go a day without um, eating, there should be a reason. If you're going to give up your phone, there should be a reason. Pick a reason and be intentional. Focus on that. Be spiritual. Prayer and Bible reading needs to accompany your fast. Why? Because this is a spiritual thing. Don't lose sight of Scripture and prayer during the fasting. Because Bible and read, the Word of God and prayer is the true sustenance of the Christian life. 
So choose ahead of time. What am I going to read? What am I going to study? What do I want to find out? What do I want to learn? Be spiritual about it. Be relational. Don't forget, ultimately, the end, we're looking forward. We're looking ahead to the day that we're with Jesus. Spend time with God, um, getting to know God in a deeper way. Be open to what God might teach you about himself or what God might be calling you to do as a result of this fast that you're going to embark on this week. And then lastly, maybe, most importantly, be normal for the sake of everyone around you. Be normal. You're going to fast this week? Great. Don't paint your face. Don't be sullen. Please take a shower, brush your teeth, comb your hair, wear your normal stuff. Be normal. Because what if fasting became a normal part of your Christian life? What if it wasn't unusual for you to seek God with this kind of intentionality and purpose? I bet. I can almost guarantee that would change your life. Fasting is not an end in itself. Jesus is the end. But we want to be sure that we're leaning in to the means of grace that God has given us. Fasting is one. Preaching of the word is another. Coming together as a family, reading the word and prayer. These are all elements of the Christian walk. So I hope that's an encouragement to you this morning. I hope that it's maybe opened your eyes to fasting in a new light, maybe. And I hope you've been challenged uh, to this week consider what it might look like for you to fast. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're thankful for today. What a wild, weird day. And, and somehow we still manage to go late, and that's just what we do. But Lord, we, we pray that we would focus. We would focus on you this week in a new way, that, that we, would, we would consider why uh, you have given us these, these commands and, and these thoughts in, in Scripture, that we would contemplate them, that we would consider where we stand with you in, in relationship with you that we would not look to some religious ritual, whether it be going to church or taking communion or praying or fasting, that we, we would not put any stock in any ritual, but that we would, we would just sit at the hem of your garment looking for your care and protection as our Savior. It's in your name we pray. Amen.